Where you're coming from, I think you should write speeches. <coughs> Someone cool. suggested that to me actually. They were like, "You're a writer. You should you should look for speech writing jobs." I was like, and I was so desperate for a job at the time. I I literally looked up speech writing jobs. I was I was just keen for anything. Um, nothing popped up though. So speech writing job. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a real thing. Um, well, I mean. I mean, yeah, definitely a, a thing, but I wonder who who's employing them right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Boris Johnson's speechwriter. Um, Imagine that, though. Imagine like if you're like you know you're just jobbing right to try to earn your earn your way, and you had to write what Boris Johnson was going to say, <laughs> writing about a bunch of lies. You know, <laughs> oh, we're getting political. <laughs> Starting oh. off hot. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> just turned off all the Boris Johnson yeah. fans of the show um, of which there are many I've <laughs> known that from the analytics <laughs> yeah male, female but most of our listeners are from the blue belt around yeah. London the blue belt of London Tory uh, bastards what? no <laughs> uh, moving on swiftly moving um, on is this going to be like that thing where uh, like Someone's going to be listening to this in the future when we're trying to, you know, get into the big leagues of film. It's like that fucking Exodus episode where Ridley Scott's going to listen back and be like, oh, oh, I heard you said that about Exodus. Yeah. Some guy's about to, going to hire us for the, the gig of our lives. Like, wait, you didn't vote Tory? I heard that on a podcast about 20 years ago. Huh. Hmm. We're going to have to have like secret codes to wipe off each episode of this podcast for our yeah. future reference. It's really um, forwarding our careers, this podcast, I can tell. Eventually, <laughs> we're going to be sh- a shat on every film directed by or produced by someone we dream of working for in our future careers. <laughs> we just have oh. burned all our bridges. Yeah, maybe maybe on our CV we can include this podcast. You know, Or when you're in Ooh. the interview, go, by the way, I do a podcast. Um, it's where we literally shit on well actually no actually no we're not shitting on films we're not shitting on, we're finding potential um well that's the thing though if we say we're finding potential is the angle we're taking and then the person in question listens to their episode of the film they worked on and we didn't find any potential that's almost worse that that's true we're setting them up. we really tried to find potential in your shit piece of work but we just couldn't do it so <laughs> sorry Ridley. think about exodus and gods and kings that should that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, that was a mistake. Um, we got to delete this in, in the future. Um, anyways, hi Joe. Maybe, um, so I just say, should we change the name of our podcast? <laughs> We've got to delete this in the future. Yeah, maybe that would actually bring more people in. They'd, they'd be like, oh my god, what are they talking about? I need to delete it. 
<laughs> no, it's so titillating. Um, I just wanted to say, by the way, <laughs> I don't know if Freddie will ever come near this podcast again, but thank you so much, Freddie, for uh, sitting in for me last week. And I also wanted to thank you very dearly for taking that bullet that was Jack and Jill. Um, you know those moments where you like have a near-death experience and it makes you appreciate life so much more? I felt that after I listened to the podcast and realised it's just <laughs> as bad as I thought it would be. And I was like, thank God I did not have to watch that. <laughs> like even You, know when, you just... know when you're crossing the road and you think the, the light's gone green because other people have crossed it, so you step out, but then someone grabs you just in time to pull you back and a bus comes by. That's essentially what, what me and Freddie did to you by watching that film for the podcast. We pulled you back away from the bus. Yes. And you missed it by the skin of your nose. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've rethought my entire life. I'm going to go live on a beach in Thailand and train oh. or something. Um, that film almost single-handedly made me rethink my whole film thing. Like, is because I feel like when you get to that level of quality of film, you're actually you're putting something evil into the world. Like you're you're, crea- you're 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 creating negative happiness into the world, and that's like unethical. I would call that film unethical. I know I've talked about that film for forty-five minutes already, but just to leave it at that. One word review from Joe on the on the DVD cover: unethical. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's. It's even worse that it's such an awful film, but then Adam Sandler's career is still as healthy as ever. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, truly painful. Although I, I was taken aback by the fact that Freddie liked Don't Mess With The Zohan. I, that made me kind of side-eye him a little bit, and I was a bit like, you're not who I thought you were, but um, but anyway, you took the Jack and Jill bullet for me, so thank you so much, Freddie. Yeah. Um, and just to say that him liking Don't Mess With The Zohan is exactly who I thought he was. So that I didn't really think okay. it was to me. <laughs> yes. And to be honest, the way you described the plot sounded fairly engaging. So I'm much more engaging than Jack and Jill, so. Well, I mean, yes, I think, uh, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel because I'm pretty sure that's been used to describe it before, but. I just love that we invited Freddie on the podcast and he eventually got to the point where we had to mention Don't Mess With The Zohan. Like that, that's something that was said on our podcast. That's nice. Yeah. That, oh yeah that's true it's actually. not all Fellini and fucking Kubrick on this shit we talk about Zohan that's true as much as anything that's true that's true um but yes shout out to Freddie and um yeah so this episode we decided to do something different partially because of my um unusually and unnaturally busy um schedule and also just because we thought it would be nice to do something for our 10th episode, which we've reached. Um, we started this podcast earlier this year, I think. <laughs> Time has stopped becoming relevant. But um, Actually, it was actually three months ago today we started this podcast. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> um, no, wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Four gonna... months ago. Oh, wow. We started on January 18th as our first episode. Yeah, that's amazing. Fucking hell. Um, mm. So in the depths of lockdown, we mm. founded this podcast. And, um, you know, we, we've covered quite a range of films um, so far from 
They Saved Hitler's Brain, which you probably never heard of and will never watch. Um, although I would recommend that you do watch it, but it's also awful, so maybe don't don't watch it. But um, but we've covered that to uh, Exodus Gods and Kings, um, which is on the other end of the spectrum. But also maybe don't watch it either. Um, Definitely on the spectrum, whatever it is, <laughs> it's on the spectrum. Sure. Um, and we thought it would be nice to formally introduce ourselves for people who don't know us. <laughs> Although I, I imagine the people who listen to this podcast do kind of know us. Um, My mum. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to explicitly say Joe's mother. Um, but we, we also probably should talk a little bit about, you know, the podcast, what it's meant to do and, and where we're kind of going with it. Um, so yeah, it's a one-off special. Um, maybe the 20th episode we'll, we'll talk about our dreams and aspirations for the future or something. Maybe um, the 20th episode will buy professional microphones so their audio quality improves slightly. That's true. Uh, so we don't sound extra tinny. By then we'll be rolling in the Benjamins because everyone knows podcasts is where the, you know, for zingers, <laughs> that's where the big money is. Yes. Actually, I don't know if people know, but um, there's an option to... to um, have advertising on our podcasts and but the thing is the advertising gives you like I, I don't know I think it's like $15 probably less than that for every thousand viewers um so needless to say so we're about a thousand off <laughs> for that uh point one cent um yeah. but yeah um so we'll kick it off by talking a little bit about the podcast itself and how it got started. Um, whose idea was this actually? Was it your idea? Was it your genius idea as usual? <clears throat> no, I believe it was a, a, a mutual, we came to a mutual agreement. Um, I don't know, I think that for a lot of people, coronavirus and lockdown, um, you know, gave them lots of extra time, obviously, just inherently. Um, and also, I don't know for me personally, maybe for you, like we've always been able to speak a lot about films and that's one of the things I like most about our friendship, you know, is that we we can chat about films and it not become dull. Um, you know, in film school, we both went to film school and obviously there's lots of discussion about film when you're at film school and that was probably the most enjoyable aspect of it because you're surrounded by, you know, what you class as film nerds, you know, people who just live and breathe cinema and um, who understand all these references. And that's not to say if you talk to Phil about someone who doesn't watch a lot of films, it's dull, never as dull to talk about films. Um, but inherently when we talk about films, we have a lot of references that we can draw from and relate to. We've watched a lot of films between us. And uh, I guess uh, in the depths of lockdown, you know, as you said, in like mid to late January, when the, you know, the world was literally felt like it was a black hole, um, this was just something we decided to do. And we always wanted to come up with a unique angle for it, I guess, because there's lots of film podcasts out there, some great film, po film podcasts out there. And, um, and I'm sure, I'm sure that there's, lots, there's lots of podcasts, YouTube channels, uh, Reddit pages, social media things that focus on terrible films, you know, like, you know, I've survived, dot, 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 and all those kind of channels. Um, but we wanted to come at it from that 
the angle of two people, two young creative people uh, working in the film industry, trying to develop our craft in, in certain ways. And I think from that angle, uh, that, that's a unique angle. And I think that um, so far we've done a good job of giving the films that we've watched a fair run trying to draw out things that we can use our own work and often often that is it's difficult like <laughs> with the last episode in jack and jill i couldn't think of really anything positive to say so not only was it maybe not the most engaging podcast just to speak candidly but also for me personally i didn't i i, I like to use this podcast legitimately as a way of drawing out things from films because by doing this by talking about it with you Xiao and freddie it makes me look at films differently. Uh, too often, I think, and this is often, this just to draw this back into the podcast, too often these days, you you decided what you think of a film based on the reviews before you even, you, before you even watch it. Uh, often I don't even go, you know, if you're going to decide what film to go in the cinema, to go see the cinema, you choose it based on the Rotten Tomatoes number often. Um, and that's fine. That I do that all the time, but this podcast has enabled me to know that there's lots of films out there that are destroyed by the critics, but there's always something that you can take from it. Um, even if it's like an ironic lesson or a, you know, something about the form of the film or something about the messaging of the film, uh, always something. And I think from every episode we've done so far, I've, I've come away from the film, maybe Jack and Jill aside, <laughs> but for every other film, I've come out of it having learned something more about the film or just the medium of film in general mm -hmm. um and so as a, a young creative like me i guess that i'm trying to still learn uh having an avenue to be able to learn about film that involves talking about film is super engaging and super valuable to me and that's that that's just like kind of like the product side of it but on the other side obviously in lockdown with nothing else going on it's just beautiful and enjoyable to talk about films. You know, mm -hmm. we kind of made the most of, you know, I wonder if this podcast maybe would have even started if it wasn't for lockdown, I don't know. Because, you know, the world out there is so fast moving, you don't have a lot of time to just sit and chat, you know. Um, but anyway, I'm kind of rambling. But the, the podcast is, that was the idea behind the podcast, the motive behind the podcast. And I think I've said to you before, Sal, that it's not only about, you know, trying to give something good for the listeners. But the most important thing is that we both get something personally from the films after having turned off the microphones, finished the discussion. Uh, I personally have had that with the films we've watched so far. Mm, well said. Yeah, I, I agree on basically everything. Um, it was just kind of like the side thing as, as you know, Joe, Joe and I have known each other for a very long, well, very long time, a few years now, I guess. And, um, you know, we met in film school and this is always something that we'll have in common. I think even if we have nothing else to talk about, we can talk about films and, um, you know, we're, we're very good friends. So I, you always think that it'll come easy to you, but then you do notice when, when it starts to record, like it, it it's almost like, um, it's almost like learning to, to have a conversation for the first time when you mm. first start doing the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually really proud of, of what we've done and 
the films that we've watched and what, what we've managed to glean from them because some of them have been really tough some of them have been quite obscure and um you know my favorite one personally has been showgirls which um you know I, I didn't actually think to watch before we started doing this podcast it was all something that I had heard of vaguely and never thought to visit because I've heard so many stories about it but um this gave me a real opportunity to 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 discover it and to discover more films that I, I would not gravitate to usually so um and it does force both of us to to really analyze film and you know we could probably continue improving um and I think we do continue improving and um yeah and it, it's also for me personally it's also made me realize how I speak and how long it takes me to formulate a sentence which is increasingly concerning yeah. um no, I mean, and also how many thumbs we do. I mean, I say you know about five thousand times a sentence, so that's yeah, another thing. But um, the first, the first episode when I listened back to it, it was just so many you knows, and I'm pretty sure you actually cut a lot of them out because you edited. I did. It was um, slightly horrifying because we always hmm. incorporate it into a sentence, so it's it's hard to cut around. But now when I'm editing the the uh, recording I I can identify which bits are like an um because I, I know what it looks like on the sound wave. well if you think about my you knowness that I, I'm constantly saying you know I mean it must there's something intrinsic there about me needing for you for me to know that you understand like you agree with what I'm saying or something like that it's like a need to be acknowledged or something um I was about to say you know just then again just have to stop myself um I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just my tick. But um, no, just like just, just to talk about the um, the critical thing you were saying about you know learning how to condense yeah. your thoughts and stuff like that. You know, I remember when we start recording it, the first episode. I was nervous. You know, mm-hmm. there was, it was me and you. I was in my mom's kitchen, and uh, I knew that our, our listenership would probably be about two. Probably me and you. Um, <laughs> and your mom. Obviously. And my mother. Yeah. Um, but something about that recording button being here and talking uh, was uncomfortable a little bit. I remember we had to slightly push through at the beginning. We were very kind of, I loved it. I haven't actually listened to the first one yet, but it'd be amazing. <laughs> I think I think Freddie said, listening to the first one and the one now, it's it's hilarious. Apparently, like we're really kind of like, so Xiao, what would you consider to be the, you know, we get very kind of like, because we're quite, we don't know, you can't relax we didn't mm. know we could relax on the microphone or whatever. So yes. I think it's a great skill to develop because um, not only, we're not just not just discussing films on this podcast. In practical world of filmmaking, in production, in script script world in which you work in, you have to be able to convey your thoughts and you have to be able to speak very well about film to be able to convey your ideas or things you want to say in your scripts or things you want to say with your work. Um, that are clear and concise and don't dribble on and on without any point at all. And this inherently by doing this podcast, we're developing those skills, right? Um, like if you write a film review, you have a certain amount of words in which to get your film, your thoughts out. You, don't, you can't just go on and on. Uh, and that requires uh, a certain editorial process. And we, we do that a little bit. I mean, I do ramble a bit, but you, I'm trying to learn to do that when you're talking about film with other people. Um, I think that's a great skill to learn. So, yeah. 
yeah. it would be, it would be hilarious. To, uh, maybe I should go back and listen to that first one. Um, but yeah, I think that um, yeah, I'd just say that the podcast has enabled me to watch, as you say, a lot of interesting films that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. But also, I don't know, just develop my confidence to talk about films and not feel like I need to be, uh, you know always reining myself in with my opinions. It's a nice venue here to just espouse your opinions on a film and not, you know, not bore the people you're at the pub with. <laughs> yes. Have people roll their eyes or, you know, whatever, um, which they feel free to do. But here, you know, if you're rolling your eyes, yeah, I can't see you. So um, maybe you're doing it all the time. I don't But That's um, why my camera's always off. Um... Hey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Actually, that's a really good point. Like having an avenue to 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 chunder all your film thoughts is is quite nice. Um, because that's something that I noticed when we came out of film school and went into the real world. I realised that not everyone actually wants to talk about mise en scène or whatever. Um, they're not interested. So after a year of like being around people who yeah. and also then after that year like living with people who who love film um a bit of a shock to the system actually um I gotta stop umming I gotta stop like <laughs> I gotta stop doing this like lip smacking sound as well like I, I I make a mental note every single time I edit the sound or like listen back I'm just like I gotta stop doing that thing because it's so loud and I'm what really is it sorry. what's the sound it's like like that noise i don't oh. know notice it it's it's really boring i actually want to be on record and apologize to everyone whose ears are subject to that noise it, it <laughs> sounds like it sounds like actually a bit like assault in your eardrum um yeah so yes you know you know i do know i do know show you do everyone knows i do know um i know everything no, but that's a, that's a that's an interesting point about how when we were in film school, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're basically in like a hermetically sealed tube. Uh, you pay a lot of money to go there, uh, and they basically uh, they do two things: they teach you how to, well, in our case, how to write screenplays, MA in screenwriting, yeah. uh, and they also tell you how to talk about film and think about film in a different way. So it's two really important things. But obviously, one thing they didn't really teach us is. Uh, how to translate all of this kind of conservatorial kind of theoretical knowledge into a practical thing of getting a job in the film industry. Yeah. And that's obviously something we talked about a lot in the course. Uh, I'm not going to shit on London Film School on this podcast because I think it's an amazing institution and, you know, it's done wonders for me in lots of different ways, but... Sponsor um, Sponsor us. Yeah, actually, that would be great if we could get LFS to sponsor us. Well, maybe... So, if, anyone's, if, if anyone's ever listening to LFS one day, maybe we could record a live one in the LFS with a live audience, maybe one day or something. Oh, that would be amazing, actually. Oh my God, um, everyone at LFS would hate us. Everyone at LFS thinks that they know everything about any film. I'm sorry. Just cut that out. Cut that out. Um, yeah. No, but like, so what I'm saying is so, like, it's a very apt point to say that we. We're talking, you know, we'd watch films like, you know, we'd watch, uh, I don't know, you know, we had memberships to the BFI, so we go and watch like Polanski's Knife in the Water or Kurosawa's Throne of Blood or, yeah. you know, we'd watch like Bergman's Persona or Wild Strawberries or uh, Paris, Texas or what was that, Daughters of the Dust? 
Oh, uh, God. Yeah. I wasn't into that one. So. Tokyo Story, you know. I was involved. Um, yeah, we were all hungover watching Tokyo Story at like 10 a.m. in the morning, which is basically a three-hour masterpiece in lots of people's eyes, but it's basically a three-hour film about Japanese people having dinner. Yeah. Um, which was wonderful. But what I'm saying is that we watch all these films and we're, we're told how to think about them and speak about them freely, but that's not really how the film industry works. The film industry is very kind of cutthroat, um it's very direct uh you obviously need a, you need to have a knowledge of cinema and you need to have a love of cinema to be able to work through it but it's it's as i say it's very kind of it's a cutthroat industry and the conservatorial way of thinking about film then didn't really help us translate into the film industry so what this podcast enables us to do as two people who work in the film industry in different ways it enables us to still kind of get that out of our system, get that LFS, because we love to do it, you know, we love talking about films, but we, we can't really do this all the time in our jobs. No. Our jobs are much more functional as any job is. Uh, the film industry isn't full of people sat around smoking pipes talking about Tarkovsky, you know, it's much more business focused. So um, it's a nice avenue, this book is a lovely avenue to get that stuff out. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Definitely agree. Um, yeah, don't have much to say on top of that. I mean, also, well, so, yeah. so, so tell me, tell me then about your, um, you know, so we, we came out of film school and we lived together for a year uh, yeah. in a flat, and yeah. um, you've now you've now got an agent, um, yeah. and you're working on screenplays. You're a screenwriter, yeah. budding screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, talk to me about how you, uh, you know, wh- where you see yourself in the future. Like, what, what's your kind of goal? Um, actually- well, I just want to say, uh, <laughs> as a disclaimer, um, this is something that they actually talked about in film school as well, uh, which is apparently where we were birthed from, um, by the way, <laughs> we're describing this. But in film yes. school, they actually did say, you know, a lot of writers, obviously, your first instinct is to go get an agent because an agent is an easier pathway into getting jobs and getting your work out there. And that's absolutely true, and that's still the case. However, they also did warn that an agent isn't, you know, a be-all and end-all, and it takes a long time to become, never mind a household name, but just, like, recognised in any way, shape, or form because every agent has their own long, usually quite long list of name, like names on their book even, because it doesn't cost anything for them to sign someone, by the way. Um, you know, you, you profit off of any deals that you make. So if you don't make any deal, if you don't have any deals, you're not paying out from the agent's point of view. Um, and so after getting an agent, I was very aware that like, I was very lucky to get one, but at the same time, I was aware that there was a lot more work to do. And obviously I'm still aware of that now. And um, uh, so as a result, I've been working on my own projects and hoping to get them out and collaborating with people, which is really amazing, like collaborating with producers and directors, which is great. But as with anything, film industry and the television industry has like thousands of people who have dreams and great ideas to be honest and potential um and you're in competition with all of them 
So you have to bring something special to the table, but you also have to kind of be lucky in a way. You know, obviously talent is really important and in theory, like raw talent or great scripts will never be overlooked, right? But they also can be. So it's just a long, arduous journey. I'm not even saying that I'm writing like great scripts, um, but it, there's just no easy path. You know, even if I was writing like the greatest thing since Godfather 2 or whatever, um, it's still subjective and it's a question of who reads it and whether they would be relatively interested in it. So I think for the future, I'm not really thinking about like long term. I think I'm I'm just thinking about working on my projects and becoming a better writer. And I hate to say networking because I don't really like doing that, but I suppose just meeting more people and and introducing myself and making myself known. Um, you know, that's that's the short term goal and I'm not really thinking that long term, but mm. one day maybe I'll be, you know, I'll have a writer's room or maybe I'll have a film that's being made with a great cast attached and a great director or whatever. But like, maybe that won't happen either, but it's okay. Like there's nothing you can really predict. You know, I've never been someone who has like a huge amount of drive. Um, I'm quite naturally lazy. <laughs> Uh, so it's also just a question of like how much I can push myself and that's a journey that I feel like I'm beginning that was a really long long <laughs> winded way of saying I don't really know what I'm gonna do Joe um so yeah that's 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 kind no, of but just to say that like the uh you know when we're in film school and uh you know we're all doing the screenwriting masters and getting an agent was the thing that as you said that you needed to do like that's the that's the big first step and you've achieved that so um something to really be commended for and, and value um it's a long road um but the thing that you haven't done yet is like give up on it so i honestly feel like if you don't give up on it there's no chance you won't succeed you know it's just simple um absolutely so it just takes a whole lot of like uh gritted teeth and a whole lot of like rejection and setbacks but um yes like it's inevitable if you stick with it and you'll get there so yeah um, i can only try um but yeah i mean you've also actually have got a great career i feel like you've you are working for a fantastic company and you are inside basically the the I don't want to say machine, <laughs> you're inside the structure that creates film. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, no, I, I mean, I, like, like with anything, I kind of lucked into my role in a lot of ways. I mean, I started uh, <clears throat> uh, like a month maternity, not maternity, <laughs> maternity. Oh. <laughs> a, mo- a, a month's cover for someone who was on taking a month off. And I want to say maternity, you can't have maternity cover for a month. Um, yeah short short baby just short baby yeah came out quick <laughs> yeah um uh, for a month and there that was recorded picture company based around Tottenham Court Road mm. and they didn't come back after a month so they offered me the office runner position which is like the lowly lowly person in the company and and I was there for a year this is you know 
the year after film school, having scrabbled around for internships and stuff like that. And mm. I've now been to that company for another two and a bit years as an executive assistant. And I've learned a lot about the sales and distribution side of the business. I'm still learning a lot. Um, and, you know, I work for it's a fantastic company with some great people. And um, I often take it for granted. I think that's my main problem, take it for granted a bit. You know, you know, it's it can be challenging and I'm sometimes ill-equipped in different arenas to, you know, my, my knowledge is still developing, you know. But uh, I'm, as you said, I'm in the tent. You know, I have like, you know, half a leg in the tent. But I'm in the goddamn tent. Mm. And um, should really value that, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. You're, um, you're DJ. You are raising the roof <laughs> in the tent. <laughs> DJ, well, <laughs> I'm imagining like Glastonbury or whatever. No, I think I think if, if drawing an analogy for my job, I'm I'm fetching water for the DJ, or I'm I'm organising his dinner after the after the gig. But it's I'm I'm in there, I'm in there. So it's a it's an awesome place to work and all those kind of things. Um, mm. But it's it's funny. I remember when I was like younger, and I would think of like film school. I think of what I was. You know, I did, I did a film degree in Falmouth University in Cornwall. And just to think back then, like what I was thinking of in terms of where I'd be and what I'd be doing, it, it was so naive. And I think that one hard part about film education is to drum into your students the reality of the industry without completely destroying their passion and hope to get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in film school, they were quite brutal and honest about how difficult the industry was. <laughs> but I think they probably went a bit too far to the point where they sapped a lot of our energy for it and they didn't, uh, we didn't really feel equipped to dive into it prepared. We were just kind of kicked out of it with a, you know, a well-written screenplay and a, a nod and a wink and a handshake and we're off, you know. Um, the film industry, is it's a huge amount of luck involved which is obviously something you can't tell your students of in a film school or on a degree, but it's true. Um, like in my case, you know, if I, if that woman uh, who I was replacing for a month had come back, I would maybe not be working there. So, and often you find, not always, but a lot of the people you meet in the film industry have similar stories. Um, it's just one of those things that it's so hard to bank on and so hard to, create a trajectory towards um it's a hard balance isn't it i imagine i imagine as a tutor at a film course or in a film school it must be very difficult to to be honest with your students without as i say like destroying their energy for it like i remember like our tutor, our, our tutor giles mm. who would help us with screenwriting notes you know we'd have these weekly screenwriting meetings for our scripts and he would tell us you know what he thought was good or bad about our script and stuff but he was a really interesting man, you know, he's a great guy um, who's obviously like a, a working writer in the industry. But I personally, I got the impression from his work that, that something I wasn't getting from the other tutors was a more re- realistic vision of how much of a slog it has to be and can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think when I got into film school, when I got that letter, I was like, I'm on my way, man. Here we go. You know, uh, and that's kind of the way film school sold to a lot of people. Uh, it's like uh, you're basically opening the door and you're walking in. And in reality, you're kind of just starting up the staircase, you know. Um, 
know where I'm going with this, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I think I'm talking about that transition between film school and the real world, uh, which is still something that I think it, you know it could have been done better a bit on our case, I imagine. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and obviously, a lot of people don't go to film school and and manage to get on quite well in in yeah. the industry, you know. Um, probably more well, <laughs> mm. um, but. Uh, I actually just lost my train of thought. I really <laughs> didn't think about that before I opened my mouth. Um, I just did it again. I did the noise again. <laughs> I did the noise. Lip smacking again. Revenge of the lip smack. Oh God. All right. Well, let me let me let me draw you into another avenue then. So, what what um, what was your earliest memory of film? Oh, the, I, the first I film that you remember watching. I watched a lot of TV as a kid, right? Because my parents were really busy. Um, you know, they were working like really long. What are we talking? Sesame Street? Oh, Ghostbusters, uh, the cartoon, first of all. Right. Um, Did you watch the Spider Man cartoon? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Anything on like Fox Kids or whatever it was, or like Cartoon Network and Boomerang and stuff, like all of that stuff. Although I think. Yeah, yeah, I love Recess, yeah, definitely. It was like, you know, I, I think that really shaped... <laughs> God, this is sounding so egotistical but to even talk about, but um, it really shaped, like, how I look at film and what I enjoy about it, which is escapism. Um, and my earliest memory of film um, was actually Predator, because... What? Yeah, <laughs> because... Who were your parents, for God's sake? Well, this was the thing, like, when when I was growing up, we, me and my parents for, for some time, I don't even think I've told you this, but like me and my parents like lived in this, uh, in like the same room, which I didn't think was strange for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And because we, we didn't have that much money and my parents were working. And so we lived in a flat, which was like an open kind of kitchen slash living room. And my parents uh this sounds like a nightmare actually now that I think about it but my parents would like sleep on one side of the room and I would sleep on the other side and we were like separated by this um kind of uh storage little wooden storage from Ikea um which acted as a partition but basically both of my bed pointed at the television um in the corner of the Perfect. room and so when my parents would tell me to go to bed I'd like obviously stay up because the fucking beds point at the telly and they can't see me and they watched Predator <laughs> and I watched it and I was horrifyingly disturbed it might have been Predator 2 actually because I remember there was like it was like in a refrigerator or something and like he was he skinned someone alive like something crazy that kind of shit oh my God. and it like really disturbed me like really really I wonder why your scripts always end with someone getting their head blown off Yes, exactly. That's something that I, I almost think it's a trademark. Like, I will always try and end my scripts on someone dying. Um, actually, come to think of it, the thing that I'm working on now has someone dying at the end. Anyways, I guess that's your, why. Your little, your little Tarantino, you. <laughs> this has really turned into, like, uh, like a shrink meeting yeah. um, for both of us. How much why are you charging me for this session, by the way? I'm kind of paid by the hour. <laughs> I pay by the I pay by the minute actually. I'm one of those crazy psychologists. I pay ten pounds a minute. Yeah? <laughs> um, 
so yeah I get I guess that was my that's my earliest memory of film and I think growing up like I've always been a bit bit boyish and my taste is almost kind of slid into the more quote-unquote masculine you know action films and stuff like that you're not a girly girl are you I'm not I, I actually am like really girly I think um but in a way that's kind of hidden because I think my voice sounds quite deep I'm quite I'm quite conscious of like how what deep do you I mean do you, honestly I don't know you, what you mean people who are listening to this like I wouldn't blame them if they thought I was a boy like but yeah I, I I am actually quite <laughs> I love that you're like I wouldn't be surprised if people thought I was a boy. Yeah, I'm, that de- I'm definitely a 27-year-old woman. <laughs> do, do like a really deep voice. Go on, do like a speak, speak in a deep voice, like a really deep voice. Hello. <laughs> what? Hello. 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 <laughs> Sound like a fucking womble. Is anyone listening to this? God Is anybody me. listening to this shit? <laughs> Um, is this, is this thing on? <laughs> Hello. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's that. Honestly, has probably influenced a lot of what I enjoy as an as an adult in terms of my taste and who I am, and my deep voice. If I didn't watch Predator that day, that night, I would um, probably sound a lot more feminine. Hmm. Um, what about you? Was it something less depressing than Predator? <laughs> Um, what well, I mean, just as an aside, I don't find I think Predators like the opposite of a depressing film. I, I feel that's one of the most like fuck yeah kind of films I can think of. I think it would be, but I think as a as a young child, I I just saw like oh sure. I mean, I would if I had a. I mean, how old were you? Maybe ten less. No, no, definitely less than ten. I was like eight, maybe seven. Yeah, I wouldn't show Predator to a seven-year-old. I mean, no. I, I'd mean, avoid doing that. <laughs> not casting aspersions on your parents. I'm sure they're lovely people, but... <laughs> Mistakes. Do that. They were a bit hands-off, to be fair. <laughs> well, a bit fair, like... fair. I mean, I, I do remember going around at my friend Richard's house and sneaking a watch <laughs> at Die Hard. I considered oh. that, like, the my most naughty thing I'd ever done in my life because there was a big 18 on it. Mm. And I had to legitimately remember... When Hans Gruber jumps off, well not jumps off, but falls off the roof and hits the ground, mm. uh, that really scarred me. <laughs> that really scared me for some reason. Do you think um, it happened in real life? They killed. Well, him. I mean, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I think the concept of cut and you know take <laughs> roll roll cameras or whatever probably wasn't on me. So, so did they just take a guy off the building and paid him to die? Oh my god! <laughs> Alan Rickman, are you alive? No. Um, <laughs> Well, my earliest memory. Well, I I had a I had a bunch of VHS tapes when I was a kid, um, like a kind of stable of any uh, NHS <laughs> VHS <laughs> tapes. I had to watch NHS tapes when I was a kid. I had a fondness for surgeries. No, um, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I think you know we had all the staples. We had the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS and. One thing I was actually saying the other day, um, someone else was, when I was a kid, we'd go around to my granny's house a lot, she lived in Dorset pool, and uh, sometimes go down there on a Friday night for a weekend, and, you know, in my mum's words, to essentially let her have a rest uh, from the kids, you know, my granny would look after us and stuff, and 
bless her she she had out three vhs tapes i think for, you know and I, I would go there for like 10 years uh and she never bought a new vhs tape and i think she had the three she had were fantasia the disney <laughs> film uh the animated free willy uh film and singing in the rain right right so three films don't know why she had those three i think she maybe bought fantasia for us when we were kids thinking that was a nice addition <laughs> I swear to God, every single time we go to my granny's house, I'd watch Fantasia through the hallway. Mm-hmm. And Fantasia was like made in like 1940. You know, it's all hand animated and there's yeah. no plot, obviously. It's just a series of stories set to classical music. Mm. And I le- legitimately remember, uh, this is not like, I'm not trying to turn into one of those like Spielberg stories where that was the moment I knew I needed to pick up a camera. <laughs> no, I, the, the, the scenes in those films are so vividly, class into my fucking head not only because they were gripping but because i literally watched them hundreds of times mm-hmm. um just the the way that sound and music could work together because it's a very childlike kind of boiled down version of what film is all about right mm-hmm. you put different creative elements together hundreds of different elements from the camera cinematography to the costume design everything to create an emotion in the mind of the audience or convey a meaning to the audience you know and so if I ever have a kid, God forbid, um, or if I'm ever teaching film, God forbid, if my film career has fizzled out and I need to get some extra cash, not mm. to say that teaching film is a bad thing. I'm just oh, saying. Sponsor. Um, sponsor. <laughs> NFS, sponsor us not right now. Um, I would definitely put on Fantasia because I think that's a really, you can like watch, for instance, there's that one, of, it's called Night on, on Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's got a piece by Stravinsky, I think. The composer mm-hmm. and it's terrifying like it's it's this ma- it's this demon that erupts from the top of this volcano and basically brings brings out the dead of this village that surrounds oh the mountain and like all these corpses are flying in the air and stuff like that uh and just the way that the music and the, the imagery work together like creates creates such an impression in my head so i think that was a huge mm. huge thing yeah uh, and also, I watched Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> Easily, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that film has everything. It's funny, it's hilarious, it's sad, it's beautiful, and it's all about filmmaking. Mm, yes. Singing in the Rain is a film about filmmaking. It's about the, it's basically about the introduction of sound mm. after the silent movie era and how that changed things. Um, so I love, you know, you, it sounds ridiculous, but I literally watch Seeing the Rain all the time for whatever, because it's all the VHS types we had. Mm. And there's a scene, for instance, where they've just introduced sound into this, uh, this silent movie star's performance. And she's got a horrible voice. Her voice is like, I can't stand it. She's like a Brooklyn woman. And they keep trying to place the microphone in different hidden positions <laughs> to make sure that like, so for instance, they sew it onto her shoulder but every time she turns away from the sound, goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just they kept cutting, and that every time he cut, he, the director would come out and tell her to speak more clearly and stuff like that. And you'd be watching the filmmaking process a little bit in this film. Um, so something, I think the combination of those two films, whatever it was, Fantasia with the, the amazing imagery and the sound, and then Singing in the Rain with the practical elements, something might fizzed in there and got me. Um, I also remember my dad had like a <laughs> very mature selection of VHSs, 
which I oh. think he had he like on his shelf. Mm-hmm. Not like not like weird <laughs> porn. <laughs> you like, said it like it was porn. <laughs> oh sorry, no, no, no. Like like kind of like, you know, like older films, you know, like there's a film called like I can't remember, you know, just kind of like black and white films and stuff like that. Right, yes. And, yeah. Um so I watched some of those. But that that's probably where it came from. It's funny, isn't it, to think about where it came from. Mm. Like the, there's there's never any moment, is there? I feel like some people in the world out there must have grown up without film, right? Not yeah. film wasn't a big part of their lives. So, you know, you wonder how many more filmmakers there would be out there if their childhoods had just been slightly different, right? Because the childhood, your mind is so impressionable, isn't it? Everything you do as a child settles in your mind and it can often have a hardening effect, right? That you, you're, like, you're like that as you grow up. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I think maybe me and you were just lucky that we had, in our own different ways, access to films. Um, yeah 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 definitely I think um I I feel like I feel like film is so universal it's still not accessible to that uh some people but it 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 feels like you know there's something for everyone you know and I think it's it's it I think it's personally really weird and I have met people who have been like I'm not really into film I'm like what the fuck Mm. are you talking about it's like saying like you don't like music you know like there's so much range and diversity in music how can you not like it and um you know some people might have an issue with sitting down for an hour and a half and watching something but I think that's I honestly think that's so odd in fact I wouldn't trust someone who says that I don't like film like I would I would actually just be like we have nothing else nothing else we could talk about yeah what's what's a film what's a film that you watched or you watch that like fills you with inspiration to keep going and keep striving to do what you want to do in the industry. Hmm. Like what's a film that like really like ignites your imagination of what's possible in film? That's a really good question, actually. I mean, I feel like the obvious answers would be any of my kind of favorite films, but I, I would actually say that it really does vary. You know, I, I have some films I really love, like <clears throat> Terminator is my favorite film. Um, and like, you know, I love films, <laughs> the films that James Cameron has made, um, and Aliens is another one of my favorite films. You know, those are all things that I can always like watch when I'm not having a good day. But I think even if I were to, even if I'm not, you know, feeling particularly inspired, just watching a film would probably alight something in me. Not something awful, maybe, <laughs> you know, not something like, Jack and Jill but um or maybe that would maybe that would alight like it maybe it would spark something in me that goes yeah it definitely wanted to make me burn my own house down so that <laughs> yeah. something and then that might inspire something you know um but I think that's the magic of it is like I can watch any any film like a classic or um a newer well well received film or you know a foreign film there's just I can I can look for anything that would make me think like wow this is what I love about it you know this is this has inspired me with its escapism this has inspired me with its realism you know um the characters the setting the world um I feel that I'm usually drawn to like films that are very high concept because that's what I've always really loved. I loved world building. And um, 
kind of getting away from reality in a way. So I would probably be drawn to like sci-fi films more, but again, like there's just, there's a lot of films that I've seen, but there's a, a lot more films I haven't seen. So I think exploring like a brand new film is always so exciting for me. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be really boring and say that there's not one particular film that I would go to, but I would probably want to just watch something that I haven't seen before, you know, like whenever it came out or whoever made mm. it, I don't really care. Um, just something new, but mm. what about you? Any one particular film that always, always liked? Yeah, I think, I think uh, I had one uh, film in mind when I asked the question mm. uh, for me, which was uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I was going to say that is a very inspiring film. <laughs> you know, because that they shot that film for, I think, something like 256 days or something. Mm. One of the longest film shoots in history. And um, I think that's like almost the, the I mean, who knew? Uh, Lost Arabia is a good film. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like the perfect, for me, uh, example of what a film can do. Like what the, 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 what the medium of film can achieve at, at its highest point, almost in my opinion, because it has every, every single aspect of like drama or emotion that you, you should try and view into your stories is present in Lawrence Arabia from like sadness, humor, mm-hmm. grandeur, uh, intimate personal stories, action, mm-hmm. um, everything. And because it was made, you know, over what, almost 60 years ago now, uh, well, I think, yeah, just under 60 years ago, uh, you know, shot on film uh, with all practical effects, no CGI, uh, and with that um, that larger scale, I always just look at that, think, uh, it's the film that, like, ignites my imagination in terms of how did they do it, how they achieved it, how he had the vision to carry it through, and, you know, how it still works today. It doesn't feel dated. Um, all the all the performances are spot on. Uh, beautifully beautiful writing. The structure of the film is beautiful. Uh, some of the greatest cinematography ever put to film. Um, you know, it goes on. Uh, uh, no film's perfect, but I I can always rewatch that film. And every single time I watch that film, I I admire. I just admire it for the craft. You know, some films you, you get emotional when you're watching, they're sad, they're funny, they're, you know, they make you homesick or whatever, you know, they make you think about better t- better days or whatever. But that film just, it excites me on a filmmaking level, always. Because um, it, it shows me like, you can do anything in film. And I know there are films that put you on alien planets. There are films that put you in the side of giant space battles and look at Jupiter ascending. They can do anything in a computer or whatever. Mm. But Lance Raver, they just literally had cameras, people, and you know, obviously some money, uh, and a gigantic landscape with which to paint it on. And he he sewed together this incredible story. That I think the thing about Lance Raver is that it's kind of like biting. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not reverential. It doesn't mm. portray him as a saint. He's kind of a dick yep. in different ways. He's quite an arrogant fool. Uh, he kind of drops his crusade at the drop of a hat when things get difficult. Uh, so it's not like a reverential portrayal. It's not like you get like something, it's not like when you watch Darkest Hour or something like that and you see Churchill as this like magnanimous 
wonderful man. You know, it's not Hollywood or uh, sentimentalized, you know, and it, that's still something that I think makes it impactful today. You don't have to know a lot about T.E. Lawrence, but I think you can draw from that in terms of portraying a real, real historical figure without dipping into rev reverency or whatever the word is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I can go on. But um, that's the film I probably, every time I, you know, when he blows out the match and it cuts to the rising sun or, yeah. oh, that shot of the, uh, your man riding the camel towards the well, you know, mm -hmm. the little blip on the horizon. Mm. Um, or that, that scene where he's he's running out to the desert in the middle of the night, you know, trying to basically think and ponder life. You remember there's that shot where he he's walking up a sand dune with the dust blowing to the side and he like drops his headscarf to the floor behind him. Uh, and it's like all the lighting's all blue remember that shot i don't remember that shot but yeah yeah no i mean those images you know such a gorgeous film i mean um it's so it's so influential actually how it looks right because it's it it captures almost like the, the beauty but almost like a certain uh well not certain definite danger about the world that he's in like the the area of the world that yeah he's like in. a savagery yeah yeah absolutely and um I think it's it is a real feat how they did it because they they shot it in the desert. I think it was well, the Jordanian desert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, something like that. But it, like inherently, it's, it's a strange and a strange land. It's the yeah. setup of the film. You know, it's like most stories. It's like most fairy tales. You know, it's a guy. He essentially it's about one man who goes into the desert. He comes out a changed man. Mm. It's, it's a simple aspect, but the way it juggles so many aspects of like the political thing going on and his his own ego. Um, yes. I think it's just an example of as perfect a balance as you can find between the epic and the personal. Yeah. And no, I'm not saying every film has to be epic, but if you're going to go epic, watch Lawrence of Arabia to see how you can juggle the personal journey with the epic scale of things. I think that's... Mm. And also, if you've ever been able to catch it on 70 millimeters in the cinema, my God almighty. Yes. Uh, that's I did something. watch it in 70 millimeters and it's just, it, I think it's the way that you should watch it. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's a film that is, it feels like it's almost exclusively shot with like huge landscape. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, it's one final thing, sorry. One final thing is that that film, I think proves to, to, if you're, if you're, if you're ever, you know, young filmmaker or whatever, learning about film, that film proves that just because it was shot or created a long time ago, it makes it no worse than anything you can do today. I think there's a stigma around a lot of older films that surely back then they, they just were less uh, into or understanding what you can do with film than we are now. And in a lot of ways, that film is ahead of a lot of films today. Um, I think that's important to, to learn about because I think... Maybe that's why it's so important to me because it's probably one of the first, like I would say, like older in quotation marks films I ever saw. Mm -hmm. I could think my dad and my grandpa would have watched it a lot when I was a kid, mm. and I probably wouldn't have considered it super engaging when I was a kid. But um, I do think it's important for us to always remember these films that have gone by and realize a lot of these, a lot of the things that we're striving to do in terms of storytelling, they've already been done. Uh, just because a film came out sixty years ago. Or, even a hundred years ago, doesn't make it any less important. In some ways, it's even more impressive. The further you go back in film, 
it's even more impressive the things they could achieve before we have all the modern conveniences we have so yeah yeah absolutely definitely um i'd say it's it's definitely one of the most influential films of all time it's david mm -hmm. lean <laughs> so yeah. um who is one of the definitive not only like british filmmakers but filmmakers of the world so yeah, I, would, I mean, I'm sure like anyone who's listened to what you've just said is probably now inspired to go watch it, which they should be. Um, but yeah, also a really great film to look at to see what, what you can what, do. What, what do you? Story. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you um, what do you look for in films? What's the thing that you? you want to get out of a film and you sit down to watch it obviously every film's different but like what 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 draws you to a film like what why do you like a film when you like a film what's the thing the predominant thing that you've taken from it to make you like it um i think i mean what i look for personally in a film is like or what i really really like is escapism which obviously we've touched on before but i think i can come out of any film no matter the genre the year it was made, who it was made by, the language, whatever. I can come out of it feeling like I really understood the character, the characters and, and what, who they were and what they wanted and whether they achieved that. If I can come out of a film or a show, you know, feeling like I know that, then it probably makes me think like, yeah, that was, I enjoyed that film. And I, I it's done what it needed to do, you know. Mm. Um, that's it's that's kind of like a really <laughs> that's not like a very strict uh criteria but um that's that's all I look for really I mean I I on a personal level like I've talked about my favorite genres like sci-fi and horror I'll always gravitate towards those but um as a whole I can watch anything I can, I can honestly watch anything and as long as it you can convince me to stay with this character and to to sympathize or even empathize with them. I I'm definitely on board. Um, mm. I think if I'm honest, like I think that's why I've I've sometimes had issues with like art house, <laughs> which is a controversial thing to say because art house is is a really you know it's it's such a large genre as a whole. But I think with art house sometimes it becomes a bit more abstract. Mm you know, by nature and and I don't need to be spoon fed necessarily, but I think Art House sometimes can, uh, you know, be a bit more loose with how they approach stories and how they approach characters. And it's, um, yeah, so I, I, I do admit like I, when we studied Art House in, in LFS, like French Art House in particular, um, I, I had a really hard time sometimes um mm. but I would also say like I have seen a lot of films that I don't necessarily I wouldn't even say I necessarily enjoyed like Tokyo Story <laughs> which I did not enjoy if I'm honest with you but I think it's really important to watch films that you don't think that you'll like you know we we watch films that we don't think we'll like like that's the whole point of our podcast right but you can you can learn things from them you know there's a there's a whole lot of different things that you can learn from tokyo story versus maniac cop uh but that's the that's also the joy of watching film you know you're, you're just learning something mm. by looking at it and listening to it 
Um, oh. Yeah, I don't know if that's, that was a... That, I felt like that was a, an answer. I give like a job interview, <laughs> not saying that that's what it felt like, but, you know, I, I really prepared that one in my mind. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. What about you? Mm. What about you? Similar? Similar? Not the same? Yeah. Uh... And I feel like you just got to come out of film slightly, like slightly changed in a small way. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously that change could be negative or positive, but um, yeah, like films just have to make show you something. They just have to basically show you something, uh, anything. You know, it could be good, good stuff, bad stuff, funny stuff. Um, yeah. But they're meant, to, they're meant to inform our lives. These stories are meant to like inform our lives, not to get all hoity-toity, but. You know, you can watch a film like Bridesmaids or something like that, which is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, that informs your life by leaving, hopefully you leave that film feeling good because it has a nice ending and it's funny along the way, you know. Um, but you could also watch a film like Come and See, which is a film about, you know, the Nazi occupation of Russia uh, and feel not super happy, but something different you've gotten out of it. You've got, a you know, a greater understanding of that conflict or whatever. Um, that's the beauty of film, because like a lot of mediums, take a lot of time to invest to get something out of them. Even like most modern TV shows, you know, it takes, people say like, oh, wait till the third season and it gets good, you know. Uh, I, I, I'll, never, I'll never be one of those crowd who likes to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a novel or something like that, it could take you a few weeks to get to that level, that point, you know. Uh, I'm not saying it's all about ease of convenience, but... Um, you know, every film, is the, even if it's a bad film, as you say, every film gives you the opportunity to to change in a certain way and, and draw something new out of it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Absolutely. Get all deep about film, aren't we? Get all deep. Get I know, deep. I know. We, we, we uh, went off in the, the deep end of ourselves. What about Krispy uh, Kremes? You know, what what about those? Oh, you! I actually really want a Krispy Kreme now, now that you've just said that. Um, right now yeah right now. i mean it would be a huge mistake and i can't get access to krispy creams so you can, you can uber eat them no it's i mean it's closed oh well the needs to cross my road those krispy creams oh yeah but they're like stale by the end of the day you want the fresh ones that have just been glazed in the slough glazing machine you know? that's what you want <laughs> slough glazing machine the glazing machine of Slough. Um, one of the great wonders of the world. Nay, <laughs> the universe. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> Nay. Um, yes. Yeah, we have we have gone really deep, actually. I mean, God, maybe maybe this podcast should just be us talking about philosophical ideas around film. Um, nobody, it, our viewership would be zero. Your mum wouldn't even listen. She would be out the door it would be so boring <laughs> yeah only so many people can stomach me talking about Lawrence of Arabia for half an hour <laughs> you know but um but yeah so so you know this is just a, a, a you know a podcast to discuss film in general and our feelings on the medium and the podcast and um I don't know is there any other topics you'd like to, to cover no, no, I think I think we've. I don't even know how long we've been speaking for. I feel like it, we've been speaking for like hours. I think uh, an hour. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> just 
God, it feels like hours. <laughs> give or take, give or take three. Um, um, yeah, I think that's that's basically it. I mean, God bless anyone who makes it to the end of our our um, soul searching and uh, baiting out our lives. But I feel yeah. like this podcast is particularly enjoyable for people who know us because they can listen to a lot of the shit that I've already probably, you know, you know bled yeah. their ears with already over the years you know so just listening to the same old shit from joe but you should um, give them like a bingo card like and hand them out <laughs> of things they think that might might come up um lawrence of arabia whoever had lawrence of arabia hit it big this week <laughs> just um, lawrence of arabia in the center <laughs> um, <laughs> the single tile um i'm surprised you didn't talk about um it's like you know that that um Family fortune, family feud, or whatever. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. The guy show, turns around and goes, "Show me lots of rabbit." Top of the board. Ding ding ding. Steve Our Harvey. survey said. Um. Yeah. Like I, I actually, I actually quite enjoyed this talk. But is it, this is a completely tiny thing. But I literally saw this on Instagram earlier. I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, there's like a thing called movie details, which I saw like a, an mm-hmm. account. And uh, there are two details which I picked up from this post, which I found particularly interesting. They're very specific to films, but I just thought I'd mention them here because they're interesting. So the first one is from The Departed. Mm-hmm. And it basically shows you various stills from the film, which is a Scorsese film from 2006, which is a remake of a Hong Kong film called Infernal Affairs, yep. which is about a cop and a criminal, both infiltrating each other's organizations uh, and acting as moles from within, who eventually, spoiler, they meet each other at the end and blah, blah, blah. But in this movie details thing, it shows shots from The Departed. It showed every single time there you, sh- you see a character, at one point in this story, there's an X in the, yeah. either the mise-en-scene or in the lighting, which mm. tells you that they're going to be killed. Yep. So at one point, like Leonardo DiCaprio is walking down an airport corridor and there's the airport corridor is like trellised with x's along the side mm-hmm. one of the first times you see matt damon's character on the phone is a big x in the lighting behind him when he's turned to face the camera and the first time you see jack nicholson when he's walking through the car repair shop it pans through a giant x yeah so that's interesting detail there's also the shot where some i forgot I, I think it's at the end where um matt damon dies and then you see the church crucifix yeah um I don't know if you said that, but yeah, uh, that that's. I, I remember seeing that too. I thought that was quite yeah. fun because I don't, also, I don't feel like um, Scorsese is that known for like leaving little Easter egg details, or is he? I'm not too sure. Well, I don't know, but it just goes. I thought it was interesting just as, as a little element in our discussion about film in general that these details are just there, and uh, so you can you can basically talk at length about any film you can think of, and there's always something there to find. And another final example is in the uh, Bong Joon-ho uh, film, Memories of a Murderer. Mm, Memories, of murder. Memories of a Murderer, sorry. 2003. <laughs> yeah. The final shot is uh, uh, the guy, I think, who plays the killer, I believe, looking into camera. Mm-hmm. He stares like directly into camera. Mm-hmm. And Bong Joon-ho said he put it in the film because he thought that at one point, the real murderer who was on the loose would watch the film. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to basically turn the camera directly onto the murderer if he was still watching the film. And it turns out when he was captured, he revealed mm-hmm. that he had watched the film. 
So I thought that was an interesting interesting detail. Fantastic film, by the way, um, exploring Mm. the first known serial killer or first kind of high uh, media coverage serial killer in South Korea. Amazing film. Yeah, so good. So, so good. Maybe his best. Yeah, I definitely up there. Um, I love it. I'm partial to the host, but I, I will admit I don't think that's his best work. But um, mm. really, really good. So anyone who likes Parasite, go watch that, I guess. What well, well, um, they made the dad from Parasites in it, isn't he? Uh, yes, yeah. He's in he's in a lot of he's yeah. he's such an amazing actor. He's um yeah. he's so good. He worked a lot with uh oh my god, Park Chan work as well. And um mm just does amazing work he, he did a vampire priest film with Park Chan-wook called Thirst I think mm-hmm. um that was a bit horrifying in some ways but really really good kind of a sick romance <laughs> um have you ever seen Mother? Mother the, oh the yes yeah yeah the Korean film Bong Joon-ho film yeah Mother yeah yeah is it Bong Joon-ho or is it yeah it's the film he did after the host I think Oh, interesting. I th- I've I never seen it. For some reason. Um, yes, I have seen it. It was uh, it was. I didn't know how to feel about it. It was. It was. It was good. I remember it being good, but definitely not one of my favorites, as you can tell, um, mm. because I forgot it even did it. Um, I felt like that was actually one of his more very very serious works. Um, it. I did. I don't remember that much humor being in it, which I always associate with his work actually um so yeah i don't know maybe i need to rewatch it oh um, do you know what a filmmaker also i must say that i didn't like okja that much but anyways <laughs> um, what? yeah oh. i'm not sorry i actually really hated jake gyllenhaal in that i think jake gyllenhaal's in that isn't he? and i thought he was horrendous not prisoners well, at all. <laughs> all right. Well, you're, 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 the level of Jake Gyllenhaal love is prisoners level, which I yeah. know you, it's the equivalent of of when when will you marry me? Not if with him. <laughs> uh, which to be fair, I watched that film again the other day. I did tell you if there's one man, uh, you know, I'd ha- happily sleep with. It is Jake Gyllenhaal in Prisoners. Um, Amazing. Anyway, um, so yeah, we've we've talked about film. Again, this week, haven't we? We've spoken about some films. We did and, it. Uh, we did it. Thank you, everyone, for listening, as usual. Yes, and if... we will be back to um, <laughs> trawling through potential uh, next week. We'll time. be back through our regularly scheduled programming next week. Um, what film will we be on next week? I don't know. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel of hatred and misery. <laughs> Woohoo. See Thanks you everyone. Later. Bye. Wait, give us a give us a, a, a little jingle to send us up. Go on. Dun, no? Dun, dun, dun. no. No, do, <laughs> that's do it again. That, that's that, was like the, that that actually sounds like um our flat is near a, a fire station and that's the noise that they make when they they like do an announcement yeah yeah or, or it's like that the announcement that like that automatically plays when a nuclear bomb has been launched yes exactly. like that's what comes up ding, 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 ding. this is an, oh, a regular scheduled no do it do a jingle that's like uh 
that has like a, a, a happy medley, melody to it, okay? I, 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 I am the least melodic person in the world. Here we go, here we go. You're the musician. You should do the jingle. I play the drums. There's a melody in <laughs> drums. Oh, there's so much melody in drums, surely. Oh, they're right. right. There is a yeah. don't, don't get the drummers on my back. All right, here we go. <laughs> Three, two, one, jingle. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. <laughs> that was that's like that should Thanks, be your, everyone <laughs> should be our production company jingle at the beginning of a film um that can't uh, let me just repeat what you just did dun, 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 dun. Dun. Was, what is that last note there goodbye everyone <laughs> see you next bye time. <laughs>